0: Hey, uh, if you don't know me, my name's Kyle Richter. I'm one of the uh, staff guys here for Veritas. I'm also a pastor here at our church. I am so excited. Uh, Kate and others have mentioned we're so excited to be here with you tonight. Uh, I, I see a lot of new faces out there. So can I just do something for a second? If this is your first time at the Crossing for Veritas, would you just raise your hand? I know that's, man, that's incredible. Let's go. Gosh, I love it. I love it. I'm so glad you're here, whether you knew, whether you've been here many, many times. Uh, man, this is so fun. I don't take it for granted. Uh, here's how I want to start. Um, you probably noticed that you've got a little card in front of you on your seat. I want you to, I want you to grab that if you haven't already. I think sometimes uh, it's easy to skip over these things, uh, but I just want to highlight this because I want you to know Uh, You can flip it over. I'm going to read it in a second. But I want you to know that, that our team, we put this together. We wrote these words with you. And I say you. I mean you specifically in mind. You collectively, sure, but also you individually. And so would you just read this with me? Here's what it says. It says, regardless of who you are or what you think about Jesus, here's something that we'd like for you to consider. It's not an accident that you're here tonight. See, I don't know about you, but... But I believe that it's not an accident that you're here tonight, right here, right now. It's it's not random. It's not chance. See, whether you've been involved with Veritas for years or this is literally your first time, we think that you being here is not a coincidence. And the reason we say that is because we know that Jesus wants you here. Jesus wants you here, whoever you are whatever you believe, whatever you've done, whatever you're doing, whatever your questions and doubts and insecurities and imperfections, whatever those things are that you have, I want you to hear me say, we've said it and we're going to keep saying it, you belong here. We believe that, that this is your place, that these are your people, that, that Jesus is what you're looking for. And so I want you to hold on to this because I... I believe, guys, I believe this. You don't know me, but I believe those words with all my heart. I believe that every single word of that little card is true. And yet, I've been doing this long enough to know that some of you here tonight, you're not tracking with me. You you hear those things and, and, and you're like, bro, chill out a little bit, right? Like, this is my place. This is my first time. This isn't my place. These are my people? I don't even know who I'm sitting next to. How can this be my people? Jesus is what I'm looking... Like, I- Here's the thing. I get it. If, if, if you're reading that card or you're hearing me and it feels a little intense and you're like, dude, chill out, I- it's okay. I want you to hear me say it's okay. But again, if I could, if I could just put my cards on the table, I'm going to say this. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for you. I I want for all of us that this semester we would see together more clearly who Jesus is, that, that we would want, we would believe that Jesus is more. Because here's the thing, I believe that Jesus will give you a better identity. Jesus will give you a better purpose. Jesus will give you, Kate said this, Jesus will give you a better place to belong than anything or anyone that you're searching or looking or chasing after apart from Jesus. But again, you don't have to take my word for it. I want to take Jesus' word for it. So if you were with us last week at Veritas on Traditions Plaza, very hot, very sweaty. Man, the weather's better now, isn't it? Uh, You know that this semester, we're going to spend together looking at the Gospel of Mark. What's the Gospel of Mark? The Gospel of Mark is uh, one of four biographies of Jesus in the New Testament, in kind of the back third of the Bible. And we're going to do a series called Jesus Unfiltered. And the reason that we're calling it Jesus Unfiltered is because if you know anything about the Gospel of Mark, you know, A, that it's the shortest gospel, but also that, that often in the Gospel of Mark, Mark kind of just cuts out the BS and he gets straight to the heart of the matter. He kind of, he, he doesn't deal with all the extra, he just gets straight to Jesus. What does Jesus think? What does Jesus have to say? What does that mean for our life? And so we're going to call it Jesus Unfiltered. Someone asked me last week, they said, okay, Kyle, uh, there are four gospels, but why the gospel of Mark? And, and like I mentioned, one of my answers is because it's short, we can get through the whole thing, uh, but the other thing, and maybe the more important thing Is, you know, as I've been studying, I've been studying Mark uh, the last month, couple months. um, As I've been studying Mark in my own time, what I've realized is that Mark is a lot like us. (laughs) Mark lived 2,000 years ago, and yet he's a lot like us. What do you mean? Well, let me tell you a little bit about what we know of Mark from from various parts of the New Testament. So the first time that we actually uh, come across Mark is in the book of Acts. So Acts, if you don't know, Acts tells the story of the beginning of the Christian church. So Jesus has died, Jesus has risen, and and the early church is beginning. And and what we have in the book of Acts is the the beginning of the early church and, and how the church begins to grow and spread further and further and further away. And in Acts chapter 12, we, we come across a verse that says the Christian church at the time was meeting in Mark's house. Actually, it was his mom's house, but, you know, kind of same thing. They lived together. I don't know what that says about him. He's still living with his mom. But uh, sidebar, uh, there was a point in history where all of Christianity fit under one roof. That's crazy, isn't it? Okay, so Acts 12, we find out that the Christian church is meeting in Mark's mom's house. The very next chapter, Acts 13, we find out that Mark knows a guy named Paul. Now, if that's familiar, it's because it's the same Paul that wrote much of the New Testament. A lot of the letters that we have in the Bible were were written by Paul. Mark knows Paul. He doesn't just know him. He and another guy named Barnabas, you don't have to remember these names, is Mark's cousin. The three of them, they go on a mission trip together right? They, so, so they head out. They go on a mission trip. They're going city to city to city. They're talking about Jesus, but something happens. They don't get very far. It's not far into this mission trip that something happens. We don't know why, but what we find out is that Mark bails. Mark just leaves. He, uh, uh, Paul and Barnabas, they're headed to a city, and Mark says, nah, I'm going home. He just bounces. He goes home, and, and this actually becomes a really big deal, Because a a few chapters later, Acts 15, what we find out is that uh, Paul and Barnabas, they go on another mission trip. And this time Barnabas is saying, hey dude, Paul, we got to bring Mark back, like I think it's been enough time. And Paul's like, no way, absolutely like will not have it because for Paul, Mark deserted us. What kind of guy deserts his friends on a mission trip? Right? And this actually becomes a really big deal, so much so that we read in, in Acts uh, 15, verse 39, they had such a, this is Paul and Barnabas, they have such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. In other words, they split. The band broke up. And the reason that they broke up was because of Mark. You see, they, they broke up because Mark bailed on them. Now, Mark didn't just bail on Paul and Barnabas, he also bailed on Jesus. At the end of the Gospel of Mark, there's kind of an odd story. It's just a few verses, it's not very long. Mark tells us about a guy who, on the night that Jesus was arrested, Jesus is betrayed and he's arrested. Mark tells us about this guy who had come to see Jesus, to follow Jesus. But when he sees Jesus arrested, he freaks out and he runs. And this guy, when he runs, the authorities, they, they think that's kind of sus. And so they, they try and chase after him, then grab him. And the odd verse is that all they got was his robe, and he ran away completely naked. True story. You can look it up. So the end of Mark. Guy runs away from the Roman authorities completely naked. Now, here's the thing. Here's why I'm telling you that, not just because it's a weird story. But there's good evidence to believe that that guy who ran away naked was Mark. He didn't name himself, but he put the story in his gospel because it was true. And he gave that particular weird detail, especially because it was true. And so Mark is a guy who bails on his friends on a mission trip. And he's also a guy who bails on Jesus when times get tough. All that to say is the picture that we get of Mark for a long time is that Mark's not a great dude. He's pretty messy. It's complicated. He's far from perfect. He makes a lot of mistakes. He clearly has questions. He seriously carries shame and guilt. And the reason that I say Mark is a lot like us is because I think if we're honest with ourselves, that's how we are too. We're messy. We're imperfect people. We have lots of questions. We have lots of doubts. My guess is some of you tonight are carrying some shame about decisions that you've made. See, Mark is an imperfect person. We are impre- if If you came to very- if this is your first time, and you look around, you're like, "Man, these people got it together." I'll be the first person to say, for myself and for the rest of us, no, we don't. This is not a perfect group. We are not a perfect ministry. I am not a perfect pastor. We are not perfect people. We have lots of mess in our lives, and so too did Mark. And I find encouragement in that because Mark wrote a big part of the Bible. Maybe you're wondering, well, how does a guy like that get to write the gospel? How does a guy like that get to write something like the gospel of Mark? Here's the response. Because Mark came back. He came back to Jesus. Now, how do we know? Well, let me give you a few things. Here's how we know. One, one way we know is because of Peter. So Peter, if you were at Veritas last week, Peter was the friend of Jesus, the disciple of Jesus who says, Jesus, you're the Messiah. Peter was a close friend of Jesus, and he wrote a book called 1 Peter in the New Testament. It's actually a letter. He wrote 1 Peter, and at the end of that letter, he calls Mark his son. Now, Mark wasn't his biological son. He's referring to him as his spiritual son. In other words, Mark has kind of grown up under the mentorship. He's been discipled by Peter. Now, why that's significant is because Peter was a good friend of Jesus. Mark wasn't a disciple. He wasn't close to Jesus, but Peter was. And because Peter and Mark were close, what happened, church tradition tells us that over time, what happened was that Mark sat at the feet of Peter, metaphorically speaking, although maybe sometimes literally, and just listened to Peter tell stories about Jesus. Story after story, he's listening to Peter talk about Jesus. And as as Peter is talking to Mark about Jesus, you know what Mark's doing? He's writing it down. And you know what the words that Mark eventually wrote down became to be? The Gospel of Mark. See, something happened when Mark was listening to Peter talk about Jesus. His life began to change. It was transformed. God ended up using Mark powerfully for good in spite of his mess. Paul. Paul was out on on Mark, right? That dude deserted us. I don't want anything to do with him. Toward the end of his life. This is what what Paul says to a friend, Timothy, 2 Timothy 4.11. He says this. He says, get Mark. He's talking to Timothy. He says, get Mark and bring him with you to see me. Because why? Because he's helpful to me in my ministry. Paul's at the end of his life, and he tells Timothy to go and get Mark. This is the guy who he was frustrated with, had a disagreement, and parted ways with over him, and now he wants him at the end of his That's who he wants to see. That's who Paul says is helpful. You see, Mark came back. He came back. He was a mess, but he was transformed by God over time. And I take encouragement in that. I find great comfort in that, in knowing that it's okay to not always be okay, and yet God can still use us as he grows us over time, changes us, transforms us. And if I could be completely candid, that's my hope and prayer for all of us. When I think about why do I want to study the gospel of Mark, of course, it's Mark is like us, and we've got a lot of things to learn about Jesus. G- but my real end, if I could just put cards on the table, my real end is that slowly, over time, we would be changed. And that change would lead to real and lasting transformation. And that transformation would be used by God powerfully in the lives of other people. That's my hope. That's my prayer. And actually, now that I say that, could could we just pray? Could I just pray for a second that that would happen in us this semester? Can I do that? Let's, Let's pray. Jesus, we are imperfect, messy people, much like Mark, and yet it's not an accident that we're here tonight. You've brought us here. Because I believe you want us to know you more. And that over time, we ask that you would start to Give us answers to our questions. Strengthen the ways in which we are tempted to feel insecure. Strengthen us. God, help us to see you more clearly. And as we see you, Jesus, that we would want you. That we would realize that you're what we're looking for. Oh, God, would you bring about that transformation in this community, in my life and in their life. And would that be used powerfully by you for good. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, Uh, before we get into Mark, I want to ask you a question. This is a question that a guy asked me. um, I was having lunch at at Don Poncho last week, and a little plug there. If you guys don't know Don Poncho, you got to get there. Uh, Eating some great tacos, and uh, he asked me a question. He says, Kyle, um, how do I know if I've been saved? How do I, just context, this is a guy who's grown up in church. He's, he's kind of been around Jesus, he's done the Jesus thing. And, and he looks at me and I, I, it kind of caught me off guard. But he says, Look, how do, how do I know if I'm saved? What he was really trying to ask me is, How do I know if I'm a Christian? Now, I think that's a really good question. And so I'm going to ask you, How do we know if we're a Christian? If someone came to you and said, How do I know that I'm a Christian? What what would you say? What what would your response be? I'll share a little bit about myself. Uh, High school Kyle would have said, and the reason I say high school Kyle uh, is because I grew up in church, but I didn't really care about church, especially when the Chiefs were playing. I didn't want to go to church. Uh, you know, it's just like we go to church, but that's kind of what we did. I didn't care about Jesus until I got to high school. I went to a camp, and that's kind of where after that camp, I started to say I was a Christian. I, I remember coming home and, and telling my parents, hey, I'm a Christian now. And they're like, wait, what? We go to church. So of course you're, and I'm like, no, no, no I'm, a, I'm a real Christian. And they're like, well, how did you become a Christian at camp? And I said, well, I prayed a prayer and they're like what are you talking about and i said and this is what my answer would have been how do i know that i'm a christian i prayed a prayer and more specifically i would have said i prayed an abc prayer and so here's what that meant for me in, in high school at a camp um, i went out we were in a beautiful spot and uh, i went out with a mentor an older guy in my life and and he said Kyle are you ready to pray the prayer to you know become a christian and i said yeah i would w- yeah yes i'm ready and he said okay we're going to go through the abc's and i was confused but he said no here's what we're going to do you're going to a you're going to admit that there's something wrong something wrong in the world and there's something wrong with you and then he said okay b you're going to believe that jesus is who he says he is okay and c he he said you're going to commit your life to him and i said okay great and i did that and then i started telling people i was a christian i prayed an abc prayer now Here's, here's what I don't want you to hear me doing. If, if that's part of your story, I'm not knocking that. Um, I, I truly believe that God was doing something in my life at that point. Um, profoundly, I, I really do believe that God was using that, and maybe even used that prayer in my life in a particular way, but I wanna also say this. At the same time, you know what happened in my life After I prayed that prayer, about two weeks after I prayed that prayer, after two weeks of being at that camp, after two weeks of becoming a Christian, you know what my life started to look like? About two weeks later, I got drunk for the first time. I was 15, sophomore in high school. And, and that one time turned into another time, and it turned into another time, and eventually that became every weekend. I was getting drunk and, and chasing from party to party to party to party, and, and, and after party to party, to, alcohol wasn't enough, our friends, we turned to drugs, and of course there was girls involved, and, and porn, and lying to my parents after I became a Christian. See, see. for several years in high school, I was living a completely double life. On the one hand, I said, I'm a Christian, I prayed a prayer. And on the other hand, I was basically doing whatever I wanted whenever I wanted. See, there was a profound disconnect in my life. And I look back and I think the reason why there was such a disconnect is because I don't think I really knew what it meant to be a Christian. I think I thought that being a Christian meant that I prayed a prayer so that I could get out of jail and someday I could go to heaven when I died. And maybe that's what you think. And I'm not trying to make you feel dumb for thinking that. I thought that way for a long time. But I want to say this I don't think that's what Jesus thinks. It took me a long time to figure that out, if I can be really honest, but it's, it's not really what Jesus thinks. And so what does Jesus think? We're going to get into Mark chapter one, but, but first let me just draw your attention to, to this. You were handed this, hopefully, uh, when you came in. This is the gospel of Mark, and we were really excited. We, we had an opportunity to get these, and um, you know, our hope with this is that this would be something that you bring back every week. That if you want to follow along, you can follow along. We're going to use this to kind of speak through as we speak through the gospel of Mark. We won't hit every verse. We won't hit every chapter. But we'll hit a lot of them. And I think you'll notice that there's, there's lots of space to write notes, write questions, reflections, prayers, things you want to talk about, things you're learning, et cetera. So I, I hope that you'll take advantage of that. Um, if you don't want it, it's fine. Maybe you leave it on the table when you leave. But, but I hope you keep this. And I hope you read it not just here on Tuesday nights, but but throughout the week. I I think it would be neat to see what God does uh, at the end of the semester. And so uh, if you want to tonight, you can start following along and you can start writing some notes. But um, here's what I want to do. I want to jump into Mark chapter 1, verse 1. This is what Mark says. This is the very first words of the gospel of Mark. He says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Uh, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, I like to highlight words because I think that words matter, and in particular, I think that the meaning of words really matters if we want to understand what the author Mark is actually trying to say. And so I just wanted to take some time and define some terms for us so that we're clear with what Mark is actually saying here. So, so the first word here is, is gospel. Now, my guess is when most of us who have grown up in church or, or maybe have been Christians for any time at all, we hear the word gospel and what do we think? We think book, right? The gospel of Mark. Maybe we hear gospel and we think of kind of the the core summary of the gospel being that Jesus died and and rose for our sins and forgiveness and these kinds of things. And of course those things are true, but here's the interesting thing. That's not what Mark means when he writes the word gospel. Mark is not talking about a book. No, actually, this isn't even a church word for Mark. It's It's a Greek word. And, and, and it, it means good news. Some of you have probably heard that. Gospel, it, it, it means good news. But it's not just good news in the sense of like you come home and you tell your roommate like, hey, something good happened. Let me, let me show It's not that kind of news. It's, it's history-making, life-shaping kind of news. And a lot of times, this kind of history-making, life-shaping news, it, it, it was kind of political in orientation. And so, just to prove that point, here's, a, here's an inscription. I realize that this is one of those things that feels like I'm a teacher and, you're, you know, uh, we can't read that. But this is an inscription from roughly 9 B.C. Uh, in Rome. And, and in this, uh, translated, this sentence, it says this. The birthday... Of the god, known as God, Augustus, so the Roman emperor, Caesar Augustus. The birthday of the god Augustus was the beginning of the gospel for the world. Now, I I just want us to see that there we go, right? The, The birth of an emperor in Rome is the beginning of the gospel for the entire world right? That's what, so, so this word gospel, it had currency in Mark's day, but it wasn't a church word like it is to us. It meant something, it meant history-shaping, life-changing news, okay? Let's go back to that verse, second word, Christ. I'll be honest with you, I for a very, very, very long time truly thought that Christ was Jesus's last name. I just did. I don't know, maybe you're like, bro, I do right now. Th- that's fine, but it's not. Here's the thing, Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's a word that means anointed one or king, right? It's, it's the Greek version of the Hebrew word Messiah. You might have heard that word last week. It means the same thing. Messiah means anointed one or king in Hebrew. Uh, this word Christos, Christ, it, it means king in Greek. And so what I want you to hear this, here's the, here's the takeaway here, is, is when we read and hear Jesus Christ, I don't want you to hear a name. Get that out of your head. It's not a name, it's a claim. Jesus Christ is not a name, it's a claim. And it's a claim that Jesus is king. So when you read Jesus Christ, don't think first, last name. Think Jesus is king. Or, or maybe it's just helpful to read King Jesus. But, but Mark doesn't just say that, that he's the king. He goes on and he says he is the son of God. See, what's interesting about this is is Mark is just punching the culture in the face right here. Because remember that Roman inscription that we read, 9 B.C. This is just a few years before the birth of Jesus. Here we get the gospel of Jesus Christ, the King, the Son of God. Mark is saying, look, Jesus is not just a God like the Roman emperor thinks he is. He is the Son of God, God himself. So Mark, in the very first verse of his gospel is saying that Jesus is God. And so if we put all of those definitions together, here's another way of reading. When you read Mark 1 verse 1, here's the LinkedIn version of that verse, the beginning of the history-making, life-shaping good news of Jesus the King, the divine Son of God. That's what Mark 1, 1 says. That's what it means. And the reason that I go through all of that is to say that everything that Mark is going to write in his gospel flows out of that reality. That Jesus, the cosmic king, is finally here. Jesus, the cosmic divine king, is finally here. And Mark says, that's really good news for you and for me. Why? Well, because we have a problem. It's good news that the cosmic king of the universe is here in Jesus because you and I, we have a problem. So jump down to verse 14. This is what it says. Now, after John was arrested, John was John the Baptist. He was a prophet, kind of had a role to prepare the way for Jesus. After John was arrested, John gets arrested. We don't have time to talk about why, but he's arrested. Jesus comes into Galilee kind of northern Israel, and proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. Now, I said we have a problem. And the reason that I said that we have a problem is, here's what's interesting. This is literally the first thing that we hear of Jesus' voice in, in Mark's gospel. Certainly not the first words Jesus ever said, but Mark chose this sentence to be the first sentence that Jesus speaks in the Gospel of Mark. And one of the things that we read right away is that Jesus says, repent. Repent. Now, that's a church word, right? Some of you, you know, gosh, I've, that, that word has been used poorly in my life. It's a church word. But what does it mean? It means to turn from. It means to turn, repent, just another way of saying it is just means to turn from, And, and if it means to turn from, then that begs the question, right, well, what are we turning from? Well, for Jesus, we're turning from the problem that every single one of us has, and the Bible says that that problem is sin, that that's our biggest problem. Jesus says that our biggest problem is sin. Uh, so let me, let me use a story from the very next chapter of Mark to, to illustrate the point. So there's a, there's a time, Jesus is, is preaching a sermon, and uh, he's talking to a group of people, they're in a house, and, and out of nowhere, truly, the roof just kind of opens up, right? And it's not this miraculous thing, it's not like angels descending, it's just a dude on a mat being lowered, right? And you can just imagine, like, what? Right? So just imagine for a second, a dude just drops, and it's not this divine thing. It's, it's four guys that are just lowering their buddy on a mat. And Jesus and everybody has to be like, what is happening? But what's happening is these friends, they couldn't get, there are so many people there to listen to Jesus, they couldn't get in the front door, and so they decided to go through the roof, literally. They dropped their friend down in front of Jesus because this guy's paralyzed, and they want Jesus to heal him. They want Jesus to heal him. It's kind of a beautiful thing of, of what friends would do for their friend. But um, what's, what's really interesting is that Jesus looks at them and, and it says that he sees their faith. And then he says what? He doesn't say, get up. He doesn't say, you're healed. He doesn't say, walk. He says this, 2 verse 5. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. See, Jesus knew something the man and the man's friends didn't know. That guy had a much bigger problem than his physical condition. He had a much bigger problem than his physical condition, and it's true of us too. We have some real problems in life. With this many people, I know that some of you are going through some really hard things, and if I asked you what are some of the problems you have in life, they would be gut-wrenching hard, hard things. And Jesus is not denying the difficulty and the challenge of those things. But what he is saying is that we have a far greater problem than those kinds of problems. And that far greater problem is our sin. Tim Keller, he's a pastor, former pastor, actually recently passed away. He's had a significant influence on my life, many of the staff around our church. Uh, and, And he wrote this in a book. I think it's really helpful. He says this, He says, when the Bible talks about sin, it's not just referring to the bad things we do. It's not just lying or lust or whatever the case may be. He says, it's ignoring God in the world that he's made. It's rebelling against him by living without reference to him. He says, it's saying, I will decide exactly how I live my life. And Jesus says, that's our main problem. I will decide exactly how I live my life. Jesus says, that's our main problem. See, another way of saying what, what Tim Keller is saying is that you and I, we, we want to be king in our own lives, don't we? If we're really honest, we don't want to follow some other king. We want to be king ourselves. It reminds me of something I watched recently. How many of you would recognize the name Johnny Manziel? Anyone? Anyone know? Oh, Wow. Look at you! So, if you didn't raise your hand, Johnny Manziel, kind of notoriously famous quarterback for Texas A&M, he went on to have a very terrible NFL career. Uh, Recently, though, Netflix put out a documentary about kind of his career in at A&M and some of the aftermath. And uh, if you don't know the story, it's totally fine because the trailer pretty much tells the story. Let's watch. He's taken on Rolling Stones, Beatles status. Manziel Madness has spawned the nickname Johnny Football. Johnny Football. Johnny Football. Johnny Football. When I got everything that I wanted, I think I was the most empty that I've ever felt inside. I think the way that I played quarterback was just a different kind of football. They couldn't stop it. He transcended college football and also sports. But I had a bone to pick with the NCAA. The organization continues to profit off student-athletes. People had been making millions on the back of Johnny. I remember this guy comes up to me and he's like, hey, I've got 30 grand for you to sign autographs. And once that happened for the first time, it was like game on. After that, I saw a difference. Side of him. When you take one step onto a slippery slope, it goes pretty quick. You have to be careful keeping too much expectations on a young man. Johnny, I sang saying it was win or lose, we boost, and it was real true. It was just direct self-sabotage. It was probably a $5 million bender. He had this fear in his eyes. The money and the fame is eating him alive. You have to look back and think, were you ever going to be satisfied? Was enough ever enough? pretty intense, isn't it? Do you hear what he, Do you hear though what he said at the very, it's, it's the thing that has stuck with me ever since I watched, it's, it's worth watching, but um, the thing that he said at the very beginning of that, that clip, he said, when I got everything I ever wanted, I think that was the most empty I've ever felt inside. Now, here's the thing. I sincerely doubt that any of us are going to go on to play in the NFL. I sincerely doubt that any of us are ever going to be in a space where we can go on a $5 million bender, right? And yet, here's the takeaway. At least here's the takeaway for me when I watch this. Not like I'm comparing my life to Johnny Football. It's, I, I see that, and I'm saddened, but I'm also hit with the reality that, we aren't very good at being the king of our own lives. We want to be king, but when we become king, it doesn't go very well. Now, that's an extreme example. But it doesn't go very well, at least not for long. It might go well for a little while, but eventually that time is going to run out. See, guys, what I want to say is that the good news that Mark tells us is that God has provided a better king. God has provided a better king in Jesus. And so when, when, when Jesus says to us, when he says repent, what he's saying, he's saying, turn from your lesser kings. Turn from those lesser kings. Turn from trying to be the king of your own life and, and believe. In other words, turn to. So repent means turn from, believe means turn to. Turn from the lesser kings. Turn from trying to be king for yourself and turn to the better king in Jesus. You see, I want to go back to that question that I started with, with with you guys. How do I know if I'm a Christian? Here's what I would say. or Here's how I would answer. I'd ask a question. What king are you following? How do I know if I'm a Christian? Here's my question for you. What king are you following? You know, is it it some lesser king? Or or is it King Jesus? See, I promise you that if it's a lesser king, it's not going to be satisfying. It's not going to work for very long. It might work right now. It might feel really good right now. But time is running out. It will not make you satisfied. It will eventually leave you feeling empty inside. Jonathan Pecluda, maybe you know that name. He's a pastor down at Harris Creek. If you went to Passion with us last year, uh, he spoke at Passion. Uh, he does a thing, uh, he speaks a lot about Gen Z, which is why I kind of pay attention to him. Um, and he does this thing on, on Instagram on Fridays. It's called Friday Q&A, and it's actually pretty good most of the time. Um, but, but something uh, someone asked him recently kind of caught my attention. It was, it was this question. It says, uh, what's the biggest problem or lie that Gen Z is facing? What's the biggest problem or lie? This is someone asking him, hey, what do you think? Now, Jonathan McClude is not God, right? Obvious. And, and his answer is not going to be the Bible, of course. But, but, but here's what he says. He says that holiness isn't necessary. See, what what he's saying there is that the biggest lie, and I think he's on to something, he's saying the biggest lie or the biggest problem that, that your generation has is that we think that holiness isn't necessary, which is to say that we claim to be Christians, and yet we're really following some other king. We say that we're Christians, but we're too busy trying to be the king of our own lives. See, what I want us to see tonight, if there's a takeaway, it's this. I want us to leave with this. The gospel, it's not about following good advice. It's about being called to follow a better king. It's not about following good advice. It's about being called to follow a better king. See, that's what Jesus wants. That's what he wants in your life. That's what he wants in my life. He wants our allegiance. He wants us to follow him. See, sometimes I think that we get turned off when we hear Jesus say things like repent. Right, it's a church word. It's been used to make me feel bad and guilty and ashamed. But I think another way of looking at it, thinking about it, hearing it, reading it, is is as an invitation. What Jesus is doing is he's inviting you and he's inviting me, he's inviting all of us to repent and believe to turn from lesser kings to him. See, what Jesus is doing is he's calling all of us to follow him, not just one time, not just saying a prayer, but, but for all time. He's, he's calling us to follow him with, with not just part of our lives, but with every area of our lives. See, being a Christian, it's not about praying a prayer so you can go to heaven someday. It's someone who's actively following Jesus with their entire life. Notice I didn't say perfect. Sometimes I think we think to follow Jesus means I have to be perfect. I didn't say perfect. Being a Christian is not someone who perfectly follows Jesus. It's someone who actively follows Jesus. It's gonna be messy. If you've been following Jesus for very long and all, you know it's hard. You know it's not easy. You know there's, sometimes two steps forward and one step back. But here's the thing, it should be ongoing. It should be a process. It should be active. And it's not because we've gotta prove ourselves. How many of us feel like, man, I gotta prove myself to God so that he'll accept me? That's not what Christianity is all about. God has graciously made a way for you. With the arrival of King Jesus. God has made a way for you to be in right relationship with him in spite of your sin, in and through, and because of King Jesus. And so the question for all of us, is that what we want? Maybe you don't know. It's okay. Hear me say that. It's okay. Maybe you're, if you're new, I don't know if I want. But maybe you do want it. See, it's what Jesus wants for you. It's for sure what Jesus wants for you. And the reason Jesus wants that for you is because he knows that he's a better king. All the other kings that you're following in your life are gonna leave you feeling empty and unsatisfied. Jesus is a far better king.